To listen to this episode and all previous deep dives, buddy dives, and dive master interviews without commercial interruption, please subscribe and listen at Deep Dives with Monica Perez on your favorite podcasting platform. This is Monica Perez here with Matt from the Political Dark Side podcast. His podcast is similar to the things that we all talk about here, history, politics, conspiracies. I don't know if I should take him seriously, but he does say that he has a degree in politics and international relations, but he also claims to have a diploma in conspiracies. And we know from our professor, Jeremy Kuzmarov, that if you do try to get a degree in conspiracies, you get fired and asked to leave or expelled. So I'm not, I'm going to ask him about that. He's originally from York, England, but he is right now in Aberdeen, Scotland. So we're going to pick his brain about what's going on over there with Fishi Rishi and is Scotland going to abandon Chucky three. I want to know everything that's happening over there. And he wants to know what's happening here, but because I think everything's fake, I'm not a hundred percent sure I'm going to be able to tell him, but I think he also thinks everything's fake. So let's see where we see eye to eye and how he can illuminate us on things across the pond. And I'll do the best I can to reciprocate. And that's why this is a buddy dive. Hi, Matt. Hi, how are you? Good. I'm so happy to talk to you today. And it's not too late there. It's probably only like seven o'clock, right? At uh, 6 p.m. Oh, did you already fall back? Uh, yeah, you... we uh, went back at the weekend. Okay, I think we get that on Saturday. There's only like a week or two where we, we don't, we're not eight hours apart. Okay, so tell us about yourself and your podcast and kind of, I'm always really interested in kind of when the switch flipped for people and they started realizing that you just, that the BBC isn't telling you both sides of the story. Uh, yeah, well, that's <laughs> that's about right. Um, so, yeah. I've got a, a degree in politics and international relations, and also you mentioned the diploma in uh, conspiracy <laughs> theories. I mean that that is it is a le legitimate uh, certificate from a, a website called centerofexcellence.com. They do things like <laughs> <laughs> from like basic basic language studies, and somebody actually marks like your mini essays and stuff. So it it's, it's wait, it's called the Center for Excellence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I it's, mean, I mean, it's I, rubbish, but it's real. Yeah, that's a that's a little too generic for me to take seriously. It's like getting an award in the field of of excellence. I think is a Simpsons thing. Okay, yeah. so you have a, a degree in the field of excellence <laughs> with a with a concentration in conspiracies. That's really yeah. funny. Do you have it? Can I see it? Uh, no, I'll have to send you the file. You it's got just it. A, oh, no, you got to print I, it. I'm not going to print it out one. and frame it because it's rubbish, <laughs> isn't it? So. I know, but that's what's so funny about it. Okay, <laughs> keep talking. Sorry. Um, yeah, so you kind of asked um, how I reached the point of uh, my opinions these days. I mean, I would I would kind of – I've been wondering this from like a, psych, a psychology point of view because uh, I've always tended to hold, you know, like belligerent points of view or opinions or preferences. Um for example, like at school, everyone would be listening to indie music or Britpop whilst I was trying to find like obscure American rap music and just sit in the corner and listen to that on my own. So I'm not sure if it's because I like to be different for the sake of it or if I'm antisocial or intentionally awkward or in certain situations like this, it's maybe because like I like to root for the underdog, um, which will make sense once we get to COVID, obviously. <laughs> um, there's a few things going on there. So uh, I like to think that mentality led me into alternative reading so in terms of actual exposure to this sort of stuff 
Uh, at the age of 12, I did a school project about the Kennedy assassination, uh, which is actually still on the curriculum in this country now, uh, madly enough. What? What? Oh, the Kennedy assassination is yeah. in your history, your world history? Yeah, the, teach, the teachers at school. What do they yeah. teach? They leave it quite open, um, but they basically, you know, say, oh, was Oswald working for the mafia? Or was he working for the... Uh... In fact, have I got it here? So they no. talk about the truth behind the assassination itself. Do they also explore the significance of it in, like, you know, American political history? Because I feel like that was... I forget what they call it. You probably know when there are different... Um, like constitutional eras. I think we're called that we're, it's said that we're in like the fourth constitutional era or something. I can't, it's like not a very common expression, but I've heard some academics use it. But I feel like JFK ushered in uh, a, a, you know, post constitutional era here. And I feel like every single teacher and president who doesn't out the assassination as a kind of deep state thing or some mystery is just covering it up. And that's why I think it's interesting. They teach it in schools here. They, I've, I don't remember anyone ever really suggesting that it was anything but Lee Harvey Oswald, even though we had a congressional hearing, the Committee on Assassinations, that said they were not satisfied, I believe, with the Warren Commission report. But So they do, they're open to that theory over there, but they don't talk about the implications, maybe? Uh, yeah, that's probably the best way of putting it. You know, the kind of it's just more of like an exploration um, of what happened. But it's it's it was it's curious. It's it, how to put it. They don't really want to encourage you to be like conspiratorial and question in the narrative. I think they think that it is old enough, and that enough people kind yeah. of assume that it is a conspiracy that they don't worry too much about opening you up at that age. I know, but you know, we have. We had, there were these liberal journalists back in the day under Bush in like 2002 or whatever, who knew that the Republicans did 9-11. And, you know, some of them still kind of know that. And I don't understand why, how they can compartmentalize the fact that JFK's head was blown off in front of everybody. He was, I mean, as we're taught that he was beloved. And I mean, how can you look at that and not think, that the entire system, everything after that is totally corrupt. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that, I think I think it took, uh, well, I think it's taken COVID to take the scales off a lot of people. Yes. Like, like you say. Yes. To, to go through 9-11, I mean, that was probably my second or my age-appropriate awakening, if that makes sense, because yes. I was early teens when that happens. So roughly around about... 2004, I got hold of a copy of David Ray Griffin's uh, 9-11 book, The New Pearl Harbor. Um, and there was kind of no turning back at that point because you also had, you know, people like Michael Moore, who, like you say, people on the left who were also pushing the idea that hang about something's going on with 9-11 and the Iraq war and whatnot. But like once you, once you open Pandora's box with 9-11, you can't really... <laughs> you can't yeah. really just close it again. You know, you get into all sorts of different spaces with it. The same with the Kennedy thing, but like 9-11's very much got a lot going on in the in the conspiracy world. Okay, so the it was the events that you saw some truth in that pulled back the curtain for you. So let's just say scales fell off your eyes from events like that. It was like those, like for me, the, the one was Boston Marathon bombing, like which was really late. I'm older than you are and I, I took it. I didn't figure it out until like 2013 and I really should have and I was a New Yorker I might even have lived in New York back then 
did you not figure it out until then, or did you? I mean, you would have been. Were you aware of like nine eleven JFK conspiracies prior to the Boston thing? I I had a I, I had a radio show starting in I think it was twenty twelve. And I would come up, I would say stuff like the JFK thing. I liked Alex Jones. Like, I absolutely was all there. And I remember I would say over and over again, like, I don't think 9-11 was an inside job. And I would have people call saying, like, how can you not know that? I can't believe they let me be on the radio, probably because I was saying that. But for me, and I said very clearly, I don't believe they would. Not that I don't believe they could, but I just don't believe they would do it. It's absolute murder. It's treason. I don't believe they would do it. And then when I saw the Boston Marathon bombing, those guys were in the CIA. The Sarnayev brothers were, the older one anyway, was in the CIA. Like they definitely killed that guy. They were definitely pretending something because they weren't acknowledging. And once I realized that they did the Boston Marathon bombing, whatever it ended up, it was, it was a cover up. It was a plot, whatever. Then then I knew they did 9-11 and everything else. Like then I was like, my theoretical, as a libertarian, I would say theoretically, our government has to be in um, conflict with us because we don't have aligned interests because we buy security from them. So they have to, if it's an all in their power, make us feel insecure. But I had no idea that we had crossed that Rubicon. And I, I just would, would not think of it. And then I realized later it was either a black mass or... It was the same thing that any king or president would ever think in conscripting, drafting. You know what I mean? Like kings and presidents have killed millions of people in the past for this geopolitical ends. And I guess they just thought, well, we're not drafting 18-year-old cannon fodder. We're drafting 40-year-old stockbrokers, which is just shocking. But I, that's exactly what happened. So, yeah, I didn't know. And now I know. And it's there's no turning back. So let's maybe finish. Sorry, I'll I'll, re I'll rewind to, yes. to just after the after reading yeah. that book. So I then went to university to study politics and international relations, but I, I went in with the background thing going on in my head, basically of like, oh, so they've done nine eleven, and then to it kind of made like studying politics and international relations kind of awkward because. You know, they want to yes. say X, Y, and Z to me. And I'm kind of like, <laughs> yes. well, this this is rubbish. So I'm kind of, I kind of... Like literature. It's fiction. You have to think of it as a <laughs> class of, of like a play. Yeah. So I kind of, the more studying I did, the more essentially disillusioned I got, if that makes sense. And I kind of like, once I graduated, I just kind of like put politics to the side and I just wasn't really interested. And I probably, you know, for five or six years got more into conspiracies, but I would say... Like, I don't mean to, this to sound crass or um, insensitive, but it was more from like an entertainment point of view. You know, you'd watch like oh, a new 9-11 documentary is out. I'll watch that. Oh, but, yeah. The, like, it's so plot heavy. Even Alex Jones, is, and he's histrionic. He's entertaining in that way. But the plots are fantastic. I watched one. I was going to tell you about this on Paul McCartney is dead, which he is not. Like, I really <laughs> researched that. Yes, I'm, he is. Sorry. <laughs> no, you're wrong. And I'll tell you how I know. But... There's a great fake documentary thing, mockumentary. It's like 90 minutes. It's fantastic. Edge of the seat stuff. But I don't even believe, I, I'll tell you why I know that he's not dead. But okay, okay keep going. <laughs> yeah, we'll definitely get back to that. Um, but no, yeah, so it was it was from like an entertainment point of view, um, you know, watching conspiracy documentaries and whatnot. And then we kind of went through 2016 
um, when we had Brexit and we had Trump and everything just kind of, it was as if somewhere in the background somebody had said, let's try and red pill a lot of normies now and see what they do. Um, and that kind of culminated with uh, Jeffrey Epstein's death. Like everyone was talking about that. Like people who had no idea who he was suddenly were saying, oh my God, did you see Jeffrey Epstein died? And blah, 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 blah. And you're like, okay, so now everyone's a conspiracy theorist. And then two minutes later, we've got COVID. I found that like, that transition yes. was very quick. I have to interject. I hope you don't mind. This is a No, go for it. So, yeah, okay, yeah. good. All right. Some people, they interrupt too much and I totally interrupt. I'm from New York, but you got to roll with it. So um, yeah, the COVID thing coming down just when people were waking up to that and that you had a guy in the White House who they would call that. I will tell you the absolute tell for me. One day I woke up and there was a um, box from Amazon and there was a book in it and it was Ted Kaczynski's Technological Slavery. And I was like, what the hell? And it was like in a fugue state. I had been watching, I think, Forensic Files or something two days before on CNN. And, and they talked about how he had just published his manifesto in book form in 2017 and I, I mean, I wasn't drinking, I, I wasn't doing anything, but somehow my brain just ordered that book. And I was shocked because I have about a thousand books and many of them are totally off color or not off color, but like would be scary conspiracy things if someone was looking at my purchase list. But this scared me when it showed up. If I want to recommend that book to anyone, I'll put it in a brown paper bag and I'll send it to them myself. I will not send it to them via Amazon. And yet I did that to myself. And I thought, why was it in February 2020, I get this book, I am programmed to buy this book that tells me to get off the grid, that tells me that I need food. You know, I need to grow my own food. Like it was weird because it was at that moment that they were telling us that we couldn't buy food and that supply chains would be disrupted. And I mean, it was amazing. My awakening to like my Ted pilling was one week before COVID. I, I actually listened to a podcast you did with Dave Smith, which was oh, yeah. that, that same month. And you kind of hinted at it in that. I might have. I would was... probably not roll out the Ted Kaczynski on poor Dave. <laughs> Dave I might, he might have to uh, do a double take on that. But I mean, because it sounds like a bad word and he was a murderer. So, of course, that is bad. But a lot of heroes, it seems like Che Guevara, right? The people wear this T-shirt and he was a murderer. I think probably most most of the heroes in power have probably killed. But but it was terrible. And, and that was, he was not consistent with. For example, Elul, who, whose ideas are he basically are reinterpreting, and that guy was like a extreme Christian pacifist. So I think it was Kaczynski's MK Ultra experience that snapped him. But I, it is it is weird that that very approachable manifesto was being promoted by CNN right then and there. And I wonder if it's to get people just like. Vax mandates and stuff. Maybe it's to get people like the hippies dodging drafts to withdraw from society, you know, to be marginalized by to homestead um, and check out that way, or to lose their jobs and check out because they're not willing to get a vax. I mean, I don't know if maybe they were just trying to peel off twenty or thirty percent of the population that they did not want participating. Yeah, there's this the the COVID. Uh... There's so much to even unpack with COVID. I'm not entirely sure where to begin with that. No, no, let's not do that. But, we can do it if we have time, but we have so many things to yeah. get. But the, I suppose the, the point of uh, COVID coming along, I mean, the, 
was the idea that like the the conspiracy theories suddenly they weren't abstract entertainment anymore. You know, it's right at your door and now. Like you, my worldview is entirely coloured by you know thinking things like everything's fake news, the World Economic Forum, digital control systems, etc. You know, it's 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 exhausting to yes. Just Why does everyone watch. know about the Great Reset? <coughs> it's like the Jeffrey Epstein thing. It's like how does everybody know about this? Like how uh, is it? You know, why is that as something that you that is memed constantly? Like, why do I have access to that? Why why am I still on Twitter? I am never rude to anyone, but I never hold back basically on anything I actually think. I mean, why it's just weird. I'm not sure. I mean, in terms of Twitter, I think that's probably how we all know about things like the Great Re- Reset. Yeah. But then obviously, you know, you get the Twitter that you deserve essentially, don't you? You know, it's the everything's curated because we that's choose do we follow. So as soon as, as certainly in the conspiracy community, as soon as one of us starts talking about something, everyone starts talking about it. So it's kind of like, it's it's really hard to tell if things like the Great Reset and the World Economic Forum, if it is overblown or if it is exactly what we think it is. And oh, I think Rishi Sunak makes it very clear that Infosys it may not be World Economic Forum, but Infosys wants you in the metaverse, and he's going to put you there. Yeah, now, I don't. I don't necessarily. I don't. I don't. Dis- <laughs> I don't disagree with that at all. That, that's the thing. But like I say, it's it, it becomes exhausting to like just say you want to watch the news and like oh here's a new here's this week's prime minister contest or whatever. And in the background of my <laughs> in, the, in, the, in the background of my head, it's just constantly like, all right. So what's this person said about the World Economic Forum? Well, that's the thing. Yes. None of them say anything about it ever. They just all right. turn up and then suddenly they have those policies in their heads. So that's a clue. <laughs> yes. So, do you think um, he would succeed though? I just wanted, do you think that the the mood of the people, like you're saying, is it is it overblown? Is the Great Reset stuff overblown? But my question, and I'm saying he's going to implement it. Is is that a sure thing? Or do you think, is there enough awareness? Of, like you're saying, the conspiracy thing is emerging. Is there enough awareness to put the brakes on that? Or do you feel like it's just this undercurrent of us in an echo chamber? Okay, so can he succeed uh, in in implementing digital ID or you know I, like don't you think the central bank digital currency is inevitable? Like I'm not saying I'm acquiescing. I'm just saying it looks like nobody's asking me, and it looks like it's happening. And he's the guy to do it. And I just feel like if if the UK rose up and said like enough is enough because the guy did not get elected, you know, waiting for a confidence vote, just seems to me that. He doesn't have a mandate to do it, but do you think it's inevitable that he slips it in? Are people pissed at him? Like, what the hell? Why is he there? Are people I, pissed? I don't, I don't think he matters. I think he's just the latest uh, pawn on the he, chessboard. He, like, he, he could he, be a he lightning could... rod. People could be pissed at him because he's so obvious if they're digging in at all. Or he's an Obama character who's who's shouting down the resistance. Okay, yeah, I can see that. Um <sighs> Like, what's the response to him? Do people like? Are people saying, "What's this bullshit"? Or are they saying, uh, "Yeah, he's fine"? Well, that, before I answer that, that brings to mind that clip of uh, Trevor Noah the other day saying that was there was pushback against him because of his Indian heritage. I mean that that isn't happening over here. That's right, just total, right. That's total nonsense. Right. Um, I don't doubt for one second though that when there is some criticism of him and his policies, it might be written off as racism. That yes, was, that's that's that the Obama thing. Off. That's why that's yeah. why Obama could push so hard 
because he could neutralize resistance. Okay, sorry, I'm all over. Yeah, place. yeah. Sorry, uh, yeah. At the end of uh, you did a deep dive part two about Rishi Sunak a few yes. last week, was it? And you said <laughs> you like you just said just now. You said you hoped uh, the yeah. Conservative Party membership would be pissed enough about the fact he's a Manchurian candidate. Yeah. Um, to me, that kind of overestimates the uh, say two hundred thousand members or so. That yeah. they're far they're far from like awakened in that regard. Like they might push back at the superficial party yeah. political level, if that makes yeah, sense. But I understand it, completely. It, yeah. it certainly wouldn't be any deeper than that because, like, oh, he's a World Economic right. Forum guy. They'd be the first to call us conspiracy theorists. Okay, because um, they because they're they so they'll just engage on the level. That it, is presented in at the, on the BBC. They're like, I'm for that policy. I'm against that policy. Not this guy is a Manchurian candidate and he needs to go. And if they yeah. did say that, then it really would be called racism because they'd be like, oh, what? He's a pod person because he's brown. You know, like it, that could, I mean, you know. The, the party membership and most, a lot of the electorate actually really liked Boris Johnson. Um, uh, he was likable. You'd go to the pub with him, certainly, but you absolutely wouldn't trust him. Um, I mean, his dad wrote extensively about depopulation. Um, he was well into all the Club of Rome stuff, you know, Malthusian ideas of... Oh, yes, that book. I can't believe I don't have that book. Okay. Yeah, so that's, I mean, his dad's probably his handler, okay. if I, I had to guess. That. But yeah. I mean, so he's he, Boris himself, he's, he's, he's enjoyed the climate agenda for a long time. You know, there's, there's even clips of him on TV some 20 years ago um, claiming that his own persona, you know, the lovable, bumbling, moronic... Yeah, the messy hair. Moronic jester type thing, yeah. He's, it's an endearing act, you know. He says it's just an act. He says I absolutely that. Like, believe that. Oh, you hear him say, like, you, it's... Yeah, he says, he just, yeah, I just put it on, you know, make everyone think I'm stupid, and then... <laughs> yeah, and then do yeah. what I want. I think Trump is like that too. Like, if you look back at his early days, he had some media coverage, and he was a very serious. Like, he was pissed about stuff. He knew how to get things done. He was a failure, I think. He was went bankrupt and stuff. But then he was trained as an actor. I think it's very much similar. Yeah, and they kind I mean, of have the same thing: crazy hair, and you know, say stupid things. Yeah, the same phenomena that was the Brexit vote and the Trump vote. I mean, I would, I would suggest. They were both pushed pushed as the the faces of those. Uh, I mean, obviously Trump is the face of the Trump thing, but like the, yes, the, the anti-establishment. Yeah, like the Tea the Party moment. over here for a while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think if you want to really subvert the whole thing, you could argue that they might have been intentionally placed there to intentionally undermine the anti-agenda things, organizations such as the EU, uh, such as the American establishment. You know, like oh, so. You support Brexit, you must be an idiot like Boris is, basically. <laughs> yes. You know, He's a taint he... agent. That's my yeah. expression, the taint agent. He will taint you just by agreeing with him, which is so annoying. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. Like, a lot of what Trump said was good and right and, you know, would, yeah. have, would have made a positive difference uh, should he have been able to implement half the stuff he was talking about. But ultimately, it was him that was saying it. So, it, it you know... You saw the response in your media, like li literally everything he ever said and did, they would just go the opposite way just for the sheer hell of it. Didn't matter if it was good. They could never receive any credit for anything because he became the bogeyman for uh, almost just the American working people. Because it, like you said at the beginning of this, it is a war on the 
normal person. The government has not got the same interests and uh, their interests aren't aligned with you, certainly. So, you know. Yeah, and I, I mean, they, they that's... I go back and forth in deciding whether or not they are... I mean, it feels very, I don't know, mercantilist or feudalist or whatever. They just, the, the human being, the masses are the source of, of wealth. And if you can, you know, make the elite small enough and the masses rapeable enough, like you can, you can really, really get rich on top and, and you, you can take everything from the people below, not only to, support you in the hierarchy and I, I think it's funny that trust her name is trust a trust is like a support i feel like she's just supporting the the uh arching facade between bojo and Hishirishi. but uh they they can absorb your wealth but they also keep you down by robbing you of that wealth and i know i sound like a marxist when i say stuff like that it's it's not it's not that it's just it's an elite thing they can give us marxism give us communism capitalism whatever i enjoyed your conversation with parallel mike by the way uh that was really really good um and i, and I yeah. like the way you're talking about the ideology and stuff and it's just irrelevant now yeah i mean you you you'd mentioned a minute ago as well you said uh can sunak actually implement any of this stuff have you ever seen uh a documentary called hyper normalization by adam curtis oh i i thought I had all of Adam Curtis's, I had a whole collection in CD in case it got, or DVD in case it got um, banned forever, but no, uh, hypernormalization, I didn't know that one. Was he an inside job or what? Because he was, it, the friggin' DVDs have the BBC on them. Well, the, I mean, this is the irony, <laughs> right? The B, it's, it's on the BBC, but there's plenty of like stuff in it that people like us would watch and go, hmm, okay, he's not wrong. So basically his argument in hypernormalization is that the politicians can come and go, the parties can come and go. It makes absolutely no difference. They're all essentially middle managers for the system that is a runaway train at this point that nobody can stop and nobody can do anything about. And if you extrapolate that out to, you know, the collapse of fiat currency, the implementation of uh, digital currencies, um, vaccine passports, for example, that sort of thing, uh, climate, uh, carbon, bloody... What's the word? Carbon credits. So, you know, your carbon's going to be limited when you try and move around. It's actually like not to be black pilled, but it's inevitable in a way that, that that's they see it as human progress. So it's going to happen whether well, but we can't we can't stop it, but it will still entail the entire collapse of the system anyway. I, so, I the, the idea that it is already in motion, I can't. It is. But. It is taking so much concerted effort by the military industrial complex to develop the technologies for this. And then, and then there's at least one piece of it that's keep trying to keep China, even though we gave China everything at the beginning, you know, agents of the West gave them boosts as far as technology and stuff, but we're kind of trying to keep them from getting the super, super, super computers. But these coordinated pushes towards CB. DC, whatever, central bank digital currency, and the fact that uh, shutting Russia out from SWIFT accelerated that process, drove him together with China and the BRICS. I mean, it's. I hear what you're saying about the runaway train, but I feel like someone has their foot on the gas. 
it's not just downhill. It's someone has their foot on the gas. Like it is, it is there. And it's whoever runs Klaus Schwab. I mean, Infosys has its foot on the gas because that is automatic. When, when your revenue depends on pushing certain government policies or technological trends or um, exploiting government expenditures in one educational area or another, it's like lobbying. That machine, that CEO is going to, if he's good, he is going to push that. And that's why Infosys to me looks, it, I think what you see is what you get. It is in their interest to push everybody in the metaverse. It's on their homepage. They're trying to bribe politicians to make governments pay for it. But are they running Klaus? I sincerely doubt that Klaus is being run out of India. I mean, he started 50 years ago. Like I just being installed 50 years ago, which I think you did, we we're talking to somebody else about that, the origins of the world economic forum. But uh, I, so I just, I don't think, I think if the, I think if, if, if that foot were taken off the gas, it, the train would stop. So who, who's doing that? You know, that's, I'm always wondering, like, who is really doing it? Yeah, that, well, that's the ultimate question. For, yeah, who for does the Pope they, work for? <laughs> yeah, I mean, they, in terms of the, the foot on the gas, like, when I say inevitable, I mean, if you take, like, uh the next generation, you know, they've been plugged into smartphones since the beginning, since, you know, from the age of five, probably. Whereas like people my age, you know, smartphones are a relatively modern phenomenon. So it's far harder to um, convince people like me that, you know, your entire life has to go through this smartphone, for example. So that's why I think it's, there's a certain inevitability in the sense that like thing, the changes that they want to implement too many of the next generation are going to cheer it on almost, if that makes sense. Like, oh, Bitcoin, you know, oh, great. Isn't this exciting? It's like, well, no, this is going to, in Bitcoin will enslave you. So will whatever digital currencies come out of the uh, central banks. So, but but they, they actively like it the, the same way as, you know, X amount of people actively liked being taken control of during COVID, which is obviously concerning. <laughs> Young people, because they're so plugged into their smartphones and whatnot, and with with Bitcoin uh, and other digital currencies, they're almost going to welcome these changes. So you know, it doesn't it doesn't even necessarily need to be driven by anybody. It's like a whole generation yes, of people yes. are going to want it out of convenience without realizing the implications of it. Is is more the it doesn't yes, need I anything. totally agree. And and the way they really do that is this UBI fantasy. So they plug people in. I think Alison McDowell was talking about this. Like, it doesn't cost them much to keep you human if you're mostly in the metaverse. If they can get you to build the metaverse, get the government to pay for it, they can kind of say, okay, you get your UBI, and the UBI can be very low because you're not moving. <laughs> you don't have to eat. You don't go out. Like, there's nothing there. And you can, I don't know if she even brought in the idea that what Bill Gates patented is this thing where, like, your actual movements you know, drive like the Bitcoin or whatever that he's patented. So they're selling right now this idea to kids who are stuck on TikTok or whatever. They they sell them this fantasy. They live in that world. They can make their faces change. They can be in the metaverse. They can be something else. They can never have to function except for beyond coding or shopping or getting their UBI. So yes, I agree that they would they want it, but they couldn't get it. They couldn't make it happen. You know, they them wanting it is just getting them to accept it and not push back. But it's still somebody still has to push it down. 
you know, like metaverse, meta, the whatever Facebook is pushing it down. I don't know why they're, you know, probably the CIA, but Infosys is pushing it down because they want all the money in the world and they want to run the world and whatever. I mean, that is a self-perpetuating machine, I think. Yeah. I mean, you have to, the, the thing about all these different elements is you, like you say, is there one person driving it or is it all, you know, like compartmentalized? Like these things are just happen to all be happening and they're all bad, but they're all converging into one bad narrative, which collectively we are trying to push back against, but we don't even know where to aim our um, response at any given moment because there's that many individual elements to it. That How do you, where do you start? Yes. Like you and Parallel Mike were saying, Mike said that, like every single solitary resistance activist, whatever gets infiltrated. Right. And I totally agree with that. Like that you were talking about Occupy Wall Street that I remember watching that unfold and the people couldn't read their own signs. They had immigrants marching with signs. They could not read, you know, it's like Charlie Ebdo, like their signs were in English. <laughs> they were pre-printed. So, um, but here, right. So Occupy was fake. The Tea Party looked real to me. My mom was a Tea Party. And she's like, it used to just be about taxes. It's all, now it's about everything else. Now they want the wars. That's not about taxes. That's the other way. But when I watched the moment, it was a Santorelli or whatever, that the Tea Party was born. It was a rant like on MSNBC. So it was a rant on a news show. And the guy sitting there uh, was a guy who ended up in like the head of the consumer bureau or something under Trump. He was an old guy who at that time was the president of Rothschild Inc. in New York. And he was on the screen when the minute, you know, the day the tea party. And I, I personally think unbelievably that that could easily have just been a coincidence because the guy didn't say anything. He wasn't orchestrating it, but I agree like all of these activist movements and what you're saying, like, we don't even know where to focus. And, and so I didn't, I don't know what Mike does, what his parallel systems are, but I, I worry that even that, like if you, if it, if anything gets, if anything gets loft, it gets infiltrated and not totally derailed, but, but directed or confined. And I, you know, I don't know if we have any, if there's any way to go with that, Matt, but like no i know what you i know i know what you're trying to say it's kind of like how um if somebody gets too big are, are they allowed to get too big precisely because they are pushing a different agenda or leading us down the garden path like just as, as an easy example take QAnon. you know that was obvious like i say obviously like I wouldn't say I bought it hook, line, and sinker, but I certainly enjoyed reading it on a daily basis, if that makes sense. But it brought a lot of information to people's attentions. But then I also don't believe that it was Ron Watkins sitting in his basement in the Philippines. Right. I mean... So who... Right. So something has directed that and directed but with people... That, that was very obvious. Like that, the QAnon tagline, while Trump was doing crazy thing, was trust the plan. I mean, that was just, it was a hundred percent the cult of person, the, you know, the prop for the cult of personality. Yeah. But the point being that like, there was enough information in there that that actually brought people to the point of being interested when Jeffrey Epstein died. So I also think that moment is when they panicked and pushed the COVID button because there was enough of us that went hang about all these elites were doing what? And then nobody talks about it anymore because 
Oh, yes. Yeah, some people say that about, like, the lost money in the Pentagon being outed the day before (laughs) 9-11. I know. Literally the day before. Two trillion. Whoops. Where's that gone? Yeah, the numbers are are actually too big. Like, there has to be double counting in there. But I take the point. (laughs) You know, like, that's a good time to bury something. Yeah. And to return briefly. um, Yeah, go. To about the idea of the conservative members uh, pushing back against Rishi. There's one thing to say for some of them uh, and a handful of the MPs is that some of them did have libertarian leanings uh, and limited state power leanings during COVID. Um, David Amos, for example, was chair of the Vaccine Passports Committee, and he appeared to be in opposition to that sort of thing being pushed along. But of course, he was murdered. Um, uh, but fact checks will tell you that that was, of course, a random act of Islamic terror. So, <laughs> You know what? <laughs> I mean, that's that, that's a Pandora's box in itself. I think you were on something with the bully Damagard, weren't you? Yes, yes, rebuild. Yeah. yeah, and I mean that gets us into dangerous territory, given that Alex Jones has to pay his um, how much trillions is it now? I mean, that's what they <laughs> say, but that's definitely not possible. I worked and out that, he didn't that every... really defend himself, so I smell a rat with all that too. Yeah, well. I worked out that every person on planet Earth would have to donate $34,000 to him <laughs> so that he could pay. So it's not too bad, yeah. is it? No, it, it his thing fit <laughs> right into the pattern for me of all like the January 6th stuff and terrorism and stuff where they don't actually have a real speedy trial in front of a jury of the peers to adjudicate the facts and the issues. So... They act like he was found guilty, but he just he forfeited, in my opinion, and that doesn't prove anything. So I smell a rat with that whole thing. So maybe he's an idiot. Like he could just be somebody who is a a pawn who's getting, you know, used and abused and will be thrown away later. That's quite possible. But I just I don't read anything into that one. Yeah, I mean, if, if people like Alex Jones are the useful idiot or the pawns, then it kind of leaves us in a situation where like who. Like you said about movements who they get too big, they get infiltrated. Yeah. Who who is left for us to not worship, but kind of you know get behind in this sort of? No, well, like there's two. It's kind of like the facts and the issues. There's two things. Who can you you know believe? Like where can you get information or analysis or whatever? And then who can actually either you know galvanize people or find a focus? Like you'd have to have some. You can't have everybody just spinning off in different directions, you would have to have some kind of plan, whatever the plan is, whether it's parallel systems or, uh, you know, infiltrate, infiltrating the White House and calling martial law, like whatever people want to do. But we can't, but I guess for me, I feel like on the one hand, like the fact stuff for you and me and Alex Jones or anybody you're listening to, the Pope, not for the facts, but this is a good example. I don't think. I could be wrong, but I really think that if you're paying attention, you can tell if someone, there's something a little bit wrong with what they're saying. And like the Pope, they're like, how would you know if the Pope was an antichrist? I'm like, I think you would know because he wouldn't be good. <laughs> you know, like this Pope could be an antichrist, could be the antichrist. I mean, he's wrong about a lot of stuff and he does stuff that's fundamentally at odds with the religion. So... But if he did everything right, it would kind of, I, I just have never seen that. I've never seen anybody who's, who do, there's no tell 
there's just a little tell that it's like, why did you, why do you think that? Like John McAfee didn't think 9-11 was an inside job. I mean, that's ridiculous. <laughs> it's just, it's implausible. He thought the moon landing was real. It's implausible. Well, maybe he, maybe he hacked and saw all the documents and that's what he found. <laughs> yeah, but that's not believable. Like, then not why well. don't he say that? Like, he said he researched those. He said, you know, or he, he said he gave it some thought and then tell me, prove, like, in my opinion, the onus is on them to prove to me that the moon landing was real. Why he could have just put that to rest. I just, I, I'm just saying that's a tell, in my opinion. That's just a tell. Yeah. It's, it's like you say, it's, it's difficult for us to decide who and where we should be getting information from. It's right. So how do you not, how are you not blackpilled or are you? <sighs> To an extent, yes. I mean, like, I think there's enough good people out there, but I think uh, the idea from that Adam Curtis documentary, Hypernormalization, easy for me to say, Hypernormalization, the idea that uh, it is all just middle managers and we are on that runaway train, it's... If you look at, like, um, what happened when Liz Truss came in last week, right? I think that kind of exposed the idea that there are there are no mechanisms left by which new parties or independents could actually succeed because you know there was a, a government trying to reduce taxes and somebody else somewhere said no you're not doing that and then it it crumbled so like imagine like a new party of the people won a general election i mean there's enough barriers in the way to stop that happening in the first place but there would be an intentional organized run on the economy almost immediately. You know, these yeah. new people would be unqualified to govern. Or well, that's what I always thought about Is Trump. They, they say, you want somebody who isn't a politician? Uh, you be careful what you ask for. And then, of course, it was a disaster. Yeah. So, but I mean, maybe, like, was it a disaster? Well, it, it certainly ended, feels like more of a disaster in, now. <laughs> it ended in disaster. And what I said all along was that you, uh, all I'm saying is at the end of four years, we will not be headed in the right direction with this guy. And along the way in 2019, particularly, I said, look, he, you know, everybody's happy because the economy is going well, but you have an 11 year expansion with a 2% interest rate. I don't know. I, that's not that's not how it works. Like you have to raise the interest rates along the way. If you're having a Keynesian system, you have to raise the interest rates along the way. And I went back and looked at every single solitary recession and the reaction since Keynes, since, you know, since the Fed was established and every single 10 years, they had to drop interest rates, five percentage points. They were 11 years out and their interest rates were at 2%. And I said, I do not know how they're going to get these interest rates up. It will crash the economy. So they're either going to do that and get Trump booted or they're going to figure out some way to lower their rates yet again and and that's why i thought he would win because in my mind as soon as COVID happened i was like oh this is exactly what i was waiting for if you look at the news or the reaction it looks like a financial collapse it doesn't look like a medical problem so you know so i just that's why i feel like the, the trump thing was highly orchestrated Highly orchestrated, and it looked like he had. But look at even Ray, Ronald Reagan, who I loved. I cried when he died, when he got shot. I cried. But if you look, and we were so prosperous and happy. See, I remember that. You remember nine eleven, but I remember Ronald Reagan. Like I was a kid, and I mean, all the clothes were neon, and the music was upbeat, and you listen to like that stuff from the day. It's just like, 
it was really a reflection of the mood. I mean, people were hopeful the Cold War was going to end. He was gorgeous. He was an actor. He was just, we loved him. And you go back and look, and the debt grew exponentially. We were just getting credit cards and going to the clubs. You know, we were just going bananas on credit. That's what that was if I look back. So you can say, Reagan, these are the seven fat years, but they were really just the seven spendy years, I think. And do, that's... do you not think we're just owe so much now collectively that it's not even worth, like once you owe one trillion and acknowledge yeah. you're never going to pay it back, you might as well owe 200 trillion. Yes, and this is what I think about that is that you can't, it cannot, that the debt cannot be resolved in within this paradigm. So no, there's, there's no chance just, of it being paid it's back. Not. That's what the CBDC, that they, I personally think that the debt, this reckless, insane debt, like the stimmy checks, it's just insane. Uh, they closed the economy. Like they, they didn't have to close anything. Like the people who were working were, are not the people who are dying. So they didn't have to do that. They did that. They shut down everything. They put all that stimmy, they, they encouraged the debt. And in, in my mind, that the whole point of doing that is to precipitate the collapse that will bring in the CBDC. And that they need a collapse for that. They need a collapse to bring in a new currency. Isn't that how it works? Like the new dollar, the new peso, like it's always the new thing because they had to have a debt collapse. Yeah. And then and then we'll be begging them to help us and they'll come out with that idea and go, oh, just we'll have universal basic income and the uh, central bank digital currencies yeah. and everyone will be fine. And nobody will owe anything anymore, but you also won't own anything anymore. So Perfect. I, I'm reading a, a book <laughs> so, called The Mandibles. I don't know if, I, if people have heard of this, but it's it, it's just fiction. I rarely read fiction, but it's it's my my newsletter is coming out. That's going to be my book recommendation, and it's about it's forward looking from like right now in the next twenty years, and they have some kind of debt collapse, and money's worth basically nothing. And it just it goes through how the how society kind of collapses in on itself. I'm only halfway through it, so I don't know, but it's a really fascinating exercise to go through. But it start it, it was written in 2016, but many of the fears that were being promoted during COVID and some of that realities are in this. So I feel like the template's out there, and there's always a template, you know, that's like the snow crash from Neil Stevenson, or maybe this book, The Mandibles. I don't know, but they I feel like Maybe a cyber collapse will, will, will ironically, they do have a way of taking something that is the problem and making it worse with the solution. So if there's some kind of cyber attack, cyber pandemic, which I know the World Economic Forum is promoting the fear of, Infosys also promotes that fear, then, and it's in their control. So if they want it to happen, it can happen. And then they say, okay, what we need is central digitization because like now they're like your data is not safe because it's in a bunch of different places we want to centralize it and democratize it I'm like well then it really won't be safe because first of all you'll have it and you're the jerk and second of all it'll be centrally located and that's you know not that's easier to hijack yeah absolutely but then you, you kind of wonder like how like like we said earlier how far along are they with these plans like just anecdotally i went to the hospital maybe some point last year. And I'd also been to uh, the local doctors at a different point, all under the banner of the NHS. And they, one place didn't have my records from a visit from the other place because the, the data collection's that poor. So 
there's there's certain arguments to be made that like some centralization of data could actually be beneficial, but equally, oh, absolutely, there have to be benefits. You can't sell something with no benefits. I mean, the Rolling Stones is awesome. Yeah. They're awesome. <laughs> you know, I mean, Tavistock or not, like it would not work if it was crap. Which I definitely yeah. want to hear. I didn't even know there was a Tavistock in Scotland, but I guess there is. So well, wait, that's a completely different. Right. Sorry. See, you're we're gonna... really no. I mean, we're totally um, having a conversation, but I know you have a lot of things that you want to hit. So I want to maybe I'll let you. Well, I was just gonna uh, to go back to like the the UK party politics. Um, something else on your Sunak episode, you'd mentioned that like the idea of a, a general election was possible, and again, not to be black black pilled, but I mean, it, it likely wouldn't improve matters if if a if the Labour Party won. I would um, never expect Labour to improve it, but I'm worried because there's so much, there are so many reports that say that Labour is way more popular than the Tories now. How, I mean, do they, do, can, who decides on a general election? Like, how could they actually make that happen? Why would anyone in power ever allow for a general election before they absolutely had to? Yeah, well, they wouldn't. Generally, right, okay. that's the point. Uh, you know, it have to be some extraordinary circumstance where the party in power thinks that it will will retain, or and the media the, would have some to some societal yeah. collapse. Yeah, the media would have to put on enough pressure, but I mean, and they won't. No, I mean, ultimately, the, the the current Labour Party. Well, I think they will sooner or later. But I mean, the, the current Labour Party has plenty in common ideologically with the American Democrat Party. Um, Keir Starmer, the leader. I mean, he's complete. <laughs> completely unlikable i mean it, all of his speeches he uses <laughs> he uses emotionalism so like every time he would come up against boris johnson in the house of commons every speech it would be i spoke to so and so today who is a nurse or a teacher oh etc. my god and they can't afford to pay this bill and they are worried about what happens <laughs> One to person. grandma so so all all that boris could ever respond with was something along the lines of oh, i'm sorry to hear about the situation that so-and-so is in because it's just like you, you can't respond any other way otherwise you'll get slaughtered so yeah yeah you're a jerk and anyways um i hope you this is what i would say i hope you directed that person to this welfare officer or whatever because i see like the bums all over california and they're they they have their own corners and stuff like you'll see them you know, dot, dividing up the corners, they get to work in the morning. There was a documentary about like the apartments they live in. And, but I just feel like if someone really wants to ask me, I'd be like, Hey, here's a card. This is the social worker. They set you up. I pay 50% taxes. Like you should definitely be taken care of. <laughs> like I can't afford my rent, but you should get some of the money I gave to this lady. And this is how you do that. Like that, if I were, I might say like they're, and then the guy is going to say, well, it's underfunded or whatever, but that's not even true. I mean, it's just not yeah. true. And I mean, I don't know about for y'all, but it's not true here. It is yeah. not true here. I mean, he, as, as well, Starmer, he, he certainly pushed for harder COVID restrictions. I mean, he just basically says and yeah. does the the opposite. Yeah, of they're Democrats. It's so crazy. And the, yeah. the, the script is so flipping. Somebody was shocked that I, I like make sauerkraut and kombucha. I know it is kind of shocking. And my husband's like, I don't think, you know, you were, <laughs> you're basically born in a tenement in Brooklyn. Like you should not be messing around with nature at all. <laughs> but, um, but also like I, I wear Birkenstocks. Like I'm, I, I, I'm against the vaccinations. Like I should be the liberal. I should be the, and I'm a libertarian. Smoke your pot. 
<laughs> you know, but, yeah. but, and don't, but, don't, and no war, right? It's so crazy. But my answer, of course, is smaller government because bigger government inevitably leads to all of that stuff, which is why I was never a liberal in the first place. And now it seems, and it's, it's just so frustrating because I used to be able to appeal to liberals according to this, their own consistent, like internally consistent morality. And it's just not there anymore. It's just episodic. It's like they pick issues out of TikTok. And, and I've seen this happen out here, especially like you'll bring up a specific thing, like whether it's Ukraine or, and they'll say, well, I don't know what to think about that yet. I'm like, well, you don't know what to think about it yet because nobody told you, you know, nobody with the right D or the R, you know, the D's told you what to think about it. Like, why can't you think about it yourself? Can't we have a conversation? Yeah. I mean, like, hypothetically, the Labour Party is meant to be the party of the Liberals. But I mean, you've got, like say, Keir Starmer, he's already a sir. I mean, that's a clue. He's a, he's as establishment as, as they can come. We've had- like Sir Paul McCartney. Yeah. He's been knighted already. I mean, we've had we several. Have to talk about that. <laughs> okay, we've had several union. <laughs> we've, had, we've had union strikes this year, and every time Starmer's, you know, oh. tried to undermine his fellow MPs who participated on the front lines of these strikes. So to consider him like a Labour leader is comical for starters. The party's also like quite divided because he participated in the coup to remove Jeremy Corbyn uh, under the cover oh, of yeah. under the cover of anti. Was he legit, Jeremy Corbyn? Um, I, the thing that, the thing that confuses people when I speak to them is that I will often say I like elements of Jeremy Corbyn yeah. and Donald Trump. And they're just like, yeah. how the hell can you square that away? And I'm just like, well, yeah. basically because they both speak language that comes across as genuine that they want to try and help, uh, working people. Well, now whether he's got yeah. a lot of skeletons in his closet and whatnot, but He's one of the few politicians who's pushing to get Julian Assange out of prison. So, Assange? Yes. Oh, shit. Go on. (laughs) (laughs) I think he's fake. I I hate to bring... You know, it doesn't matter, though, because if... You know, you need heroes, I guess, and even with the Jeremy Corbyn thing and Trump, they say... I would rather have somebody who's saying the things that I believe than not saying them, than saying things I don't believe, even if they're not going to follow through because you're keeping that alive in the air, in the world, in the mind. You're acknowledging that either culture hasn't changed enough to eradicate those ideas or those ideas are archetypal and you're not losing them and they have to be accommodated, like religion or something. And that's why I think that's valuable. The Julian Assange thing, I have a couple of issues with him, but one thing, maybe it's not true anymore, but there was a, there, the first data dump guy, I think it was Krypton, was a Kryptome, Kryptagon, something like that. There's all those things exist, but this was the one guy named John started it. And you would, as a whistleblower, just anonymously dump all your stuff on this live URL, right? And with, with Julian Assange, you have to give it to him. He owns it. You can't give it to anybody else. And then he can sit on it or curate it. And to me, what he did Nobody, I can't even remember the name of the other site. So that other site would have been the one. And now, so if Julian Assange hadn't existed, the CIA would have had to invent him. Ergo. (laughs) But does that necessarily mean the content of what he released was wrong, though? Uh, No, but if it's curated, it can, that, that I think is the entire thing about 
um, controlled opposition or activism or why they're giving me Ted Kaczynski and not um, Elul. It's that it's it's the edges where there are problems. It's the it's the edges where people bust out of their like the Venn diagram. They bust out. And I have heard that the CIA, when they are vetting books, that they will tell you, you can publish everything, but you can't publish everything in the same book. So if you want to talk about the drug problem in the U.S., you cannot talk about it in the same book as Vietnam War, something like that. Even though they're heavily connected, yeah. Right. And and it's because they don't want people to really connect those dots because once you start, is it like a heuristic or something? Once you start understanding how things relate to each other, you can extrapolate, you know, like the Boston Marathon bombing. I knew about 9-11 because of something very specific with that is that, you know, they, I knew they knew who the Sarnayevs were and they said they didn't. So I was like, oh, they are lying. And the whole house of cards came apart. So I I don't know. So I just, I I think that the curation function is extremely important and, and whatever, what good did Assange ever do? What really important change of direction in this world system resulted from what he revealed? I suppose you know, I just, it's, it's back know. to this, the same idea that like somebody's keeping positive arguments out there. Um, he's certainly very much at the yeah, forefront okay. of the yeah. for, forefront of the anti-war movement because there yeah. certainly isn't too many who, who could who, who could put themselves forward for that. I mean, certainly, for example, again, certainly not the current Labour leader Keir Starmer, who is all aboard. Let's send more weapons and money to Ukraine. Which is that's obvious. so nuts. I know they did. They made the liberals here do that too. Hey, so but I I really feel like Ross Ulbricht. If if people say they want to get Julian Assange, get Ross Ulbricht. There's no question that Ross Ulbricht. He does stuff that people should be allowed to do. You know, I mean, I'm not saying Julian Assange shouldn't be allowed, but I can understand the argument against Assange if you have a government that isn't a pathocracy and there are certain defense things. I don't know. I mean, I. I don't believe that, but but Ross Albrecht is a totally innocent person who was railroaded by people who went to jail for railroading him, and that was not brought up in his trial. <laughs> so I'm not overly familiar with his. Yeah, he had a. There was a um, Secret Service agent and a DEA agent who manipulated his case because they wanted to steal his Bitcoin, I think, and I believe one or both of them went to jail for six years. And in his trial, he wasn't allowed to bring up that the investigators were jailed, convicted of malfeasance in the investigation. And now Ross Albrecht is in jail on consecutive terms for something that happened on a, on a dark webs platform that he built, but had nothing to do with him. Very yeah, that doesn't, that doesn't really seem right at all. Right, but Just, you should know his story, and t- Donald Trump should have pardoned him. It would be very easy. It wouldn't have been an international crisis at all. The guy, you just tell him he can't use a computer ever again, and you're fine. Whereas Julian Assange, I mean, there's a lot of emotion around that. But anyway, we are really going into a rabbit hole. And if we're going to go into a rabbit hole, I'm going to tell you why Paul McCartney is not dead. Go on, then. Okay. <laughs> I stayed up all night. This is one of those things. And I did that with the Sarnayevs, and I was like, that guy is the same as that guy. I can tell. With Paul McCartney, I found pictures of him throughout his life, before and after he supposedly died. And he has a very distinctive and unique five o'clock shadow. Okay. So I just challenge you to go <laughs> back and look at the 20-year-old Paul McCartney and the 30-year-old, the 40-year-old, the 50-year-old, and tell me how you could reproduce. Who would even think of that? 
But I suppose isn't the point that it was a lookalike, so it would have to be a pretty good one if they were going to try I and mean, pull, that, pull that stunt. It would be pretty... I, I mean, I, I would argue it was impossible. Do you... Uh, do you believe in the? Do you? Okay, I will. Do you believe in the the cloning thing, the human clones? Well, they would have had to know the day he was conceived in order to make it. An exact oh, I don't same mean. Age. I don't mean specifically for Paul McCartney. Oh, do I, mean, I think like, they can make a human clone? I mean, given that we had Probably. the sheep, the sheep was in what nineteen ninety seven. Yeah, where every, yeah, everyone was going mad for that. I mean, that's twenty five years ago, and that's just. If you believe that when they did the sheep, the sheep was the best they could do at that point. <clears throat> so, I mean, you certainly like. Do you? Uh, you were saying about like, oh, Paul McCartney's got a, his his five o'clock shadow, and then do you like looking at Joe Biden? Do you think that? <laughs> do you think that's the same guy as it was even ten years ago? I do, I do, and I don't really know why. I mean, I, I'm not. I don't want to be fresh, but why? Would I even bother looking into that? What's the importance of that? Why would they do that? And why would I care? He's just, I mean, I they put the hand up the back of one puppet or the hand up the back, you know, if it's a monkey or a, you know, donkey, it doesn't matter to me. Yeah, I suppose. It's, I mean, it's seriously, like, what's what would the difference be? Well, the the idea that they can do that obviously should be. They that, they, that, they, yes. that they would do that would yeah, be... But he, he was the worst of the worst from the beginning. Like he is a hundred percent consistent with what he ever was. Was just a, a gaff-prone, sinister, self-serving, greedy, traitorous politician. He's yeah. always exactly the it, same. It's it's genuinely incredible that he's there. Like it's quite. I know. It's quite remarkable watching his cognitive decline. I mean, did, I, I always I thought, thought that was fake. Too, but I could be wrong about now. He's so old. Like I, I think it was probably inevitable, but they might have yeah. front ran that a little bit. But yeah, he just—he's ridiculous. Is that a big issue for your uh, your voters next week? Like, are people like Democrat voters looking at that and going, "Oh, this is a problem. We need somebody." But I mean, obviously they're not voting I don't think on, so. on him. But it's it's sort of like a a referendum on his his uh, how he's done for two years to an extent. I think I think you'll agree with me that it's not only. Is it not about him, about your politician? It's not even about your party. It's really now just about the party you're voting against. That's it. That's what the whole abortion thing was for. So you could vote against Republicans. Yeah, I did. That's I said that to somebody when it came up. I was like, "There's absolutely yeah, no good. reason for them to crowbar the abortion issue yes. open again, like right now." <laughs> because like it's already heading towards like uh, a Republican victory. Why is this being brought up again? And then the problem, the thing with the Republican Party is it's completely divided as well. I mean, you've obviously got your old school centrist Republicans like Mad Liz Cheney and all that, and then all the people who are like the MAGA candidates who I can't see it going any other way than them absolutely wiping the floor with with everybody else here. Really, I mean. That that the anyone Demo who's got the Republicans will wipe the floor with the Democrats. Yeah, as long I, that's I what it seems like. I mean, that's what they're saying. What are they calling it? The red tsunami or whatever. Red wave. But yeah. Who cares? You know, like I just well, yeah. I, look. The Democrat but, look. It's terrible, right? It's terrible. But but, and all we ever think is Democrats raise taxes, they increase spending. But 
look at Trump. Look at how much money was spent under Trump. And they're like, whoa, it wasn't a pandemic. It's like, really? You know, I, I just don't even understand why he he basically bankrolled these governors for implementing terrible, terrible, unnecessary, damaging, awful policies. And some the the Republican governors weren't weren't doing it as badly. So he was bankrolling Democrats by justifying the lockdowns with this continuing emergency order and then signing off on these on these federal programs. I think I mean maybe maybe I'm not looking at it right, but like I, I said with, the, with Reagan. I think the supporters of the MAGA movement and Trump are two separate things now, if that makes sense. Absolutely, like it, I agree. It's, it's a runaway train. Like there's plenty I like of people that, yeah. I like the MAGA people. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's plenty of people. Like, they are probably, like, genuine and want to help people and have the ideas, whereas Trump is, you know, probably is the establishment thing. There's plenty of people on, on the MAGA side who are saying, like, well, actually, you're the, you're the one who came up with the vaccines. And, and shit like that and push yeah. that on people push the spending on people so i think like like you say it's like have they accidentally red-pilled loads of people by putting these ideas out there and then these movements are getting away from them so now they have to subvert them with mad shit like january the 6th and oh my gosh well you know what january the 6th actually did yeah it's... i was waiting for them to initiate an investigation that day January 6th got Biden that riot that it was there was no riot absolutely fake 100% fake 100% 100% but what it did was it kept the four states who had a genuine dispute about their electoral votes from vetting them and calling for what I I there was a precedent there is a precedent in American history of having like a two week investigation into that and in that original case, there was a negotiated solution. But instead of, so it got interrupted when Arizona was like in its fourth hour, of, I think, in its fourth hour of trying to explain the two sides of the issue with the Electoral College. And they had other states who were going to do that. It was going to last for days. That's what I was anticipating because I was following it closely. And then this dumb riot thing happened, fake, whatever. And Mitch McConnell, the Republican, came in and was like, this, this has got to stop. This is over. Let's just show of hands. Biden. <laughs> you know, it's like, what? So I, I think that the, the January 6th thing was, they always, they, capital T, they, the people who, the powers that be, the deep state, whoever you want to say in this case, the people who wrote the report from Iron Mountain specifically, uh, say that they always multitask. So with the January 6th thing, yes, this number one was it was a way to get Biden in, but it was also a way to demonize the right. And they were ready for us. They kept telling us whatever happens in this election, there are going to be riots one way or the other. And that is the number one reason that I thought Trump would win, because they said they cannot get the right to riot. It won't happen. And it didn't happen, but they said it did. And I, I missed that. <laughs> I always forget. I always like get something a little bit wrong. Like I just, I'll be. <laughs> they came up with something new. <sighs> yeah, I, I do. I, I do remember. I was watching quite a lot of the. Um, what was what's the name for them? The, the well, not the hearings when they had the. Uh, they were doing the investigations at state level. You know, like the Arizona one. It was on C. Was it on C-SPAN or was it just on like? Right when they were certifying the elect, they're certifying the votes. No, they had people giving evidence saying that it was there was electoral. Before before January 6th? Was it before? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I was like covering it very closely. And mm-hmm. uh, it started, I mean, I started covering it in December. Yeah. So, I mean, it was, it, yeah, it's quite interesting that it they used that to essentially shut that debate down. And I'd be very cute, like, you've already seen Hillary Clinton being wheeled out saying that the the far right are going to steal this election and the 2024 election. I mean, how, how, how do normal people just square this circle and ever actually go back to just politics of people getting along because i I, like oh yes yes it's i want to pick up on that there's a complete paradigm shift again in when i was growing up the whole thing was that everybody was all the politicians would converge to the center because they wanted consent and now it's the exact opposite they want conflict and Trump marked that, but I remember when Obama leaked something that he was abandoning the white working class. I was like, why would you leak that? You know, I mean, of course, supposedly it didn't mean to leak it, but that's ridiculous. So I found the same thing with unions right now. So we have this hyperinflationary environment. People got a ton of stimmy checks and blah, blah, blah. And unions who look to be in pretty good shape, like our railroad workers who are basically in a way not really supposed to strike like that kind of thing. It's not technically true, but that's just, it's very bad form and it's really makes the unions look bad. And I feel like the same thing is happening that a, the union leadership is absolutely against the people in the union. They lie about it. The airline pilots were sitting out because they were not getting the vaccines and getting in planes and stuff. And that the unions lied about what they were doing, but also the unions are rejecting perfectly good contracts. And I'm just one, but the strikes are everywhere. They're contributing to slowdowns and all of this. And I feel like it's the same thing. Like the unions are not going to have the sympathy of the people. And it has that same feel like they're not looking for harmony. And I don't know if you can cross those two connect those two again but i just i don't think they're ever going back to like looking for consent i mean i think they're really looking for more division the only way you could uh find the consent again is probably with the the kind of thing that they use quite often and that's you know one giant event that's so horrendous it just brings everybody together but like the problem is that event would have to be a hundred percent organic and no, like it can't be questioned. The problem, like so many events now, seem to like happen. a meteor. Yeah, I mean, they the found one the other day that's going to hit Earth in two hundred years or something. Well, then planet. maybe they can do it because you know, maybe maybe if you really get, maybe they realize they they're always very clever about how things actually work. How things actually work is a plurality of a plurality of voters, not a majority of voters, is all you need. So if they can divide people up enough, actually quite a small plurality would be enough to give a ruling elite power. So maybe if they say, well, look, we we keep doing 51% Democrat, 49% Republican. Why don't we do 31% Democrat, 29% Republican, and then a bunch of, you know, homesteaders and green people and space cadets and whatever. And then nobody's really paying attention to what that one party in control, like it's just, there's so much infighting that you can't, you don't expect to build a majority consensus, you know, like that is how it works. Like nobody's happy with the outcomes. Yeah. I mean, the, the issues are probably too divisive that 
people are, are never going to actually square them away anyway is the problem. Right. Because, I mean, like just like gun ownership in America, for example, people are very passionate about that, the same as the abortion thing. Like there doesn't yeah. seem to be any – nobody seems to want the middle ground, even though the reality is you probably actually do have the middle ground at the minute, you know. Some places you can get your abortions up to a certain amount of time. Some places <laughs> as you many can as have you want, guns. three for a dollar. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Some places you can have some places you can have guns. Like they're not completely banned everywhere. They're not completely available. Abortions aren't completely banned everywhere, and they're not completely available. Like it's there is the middle ground at the minute, but yet we've got the massive division because everybody's like pulling at the seams. Like you said, it's gone out to these two extremes of <laughs> that's an interesting question about Russell Brand. Yes, is Russell Brand. That's Fan Shadow and Stella coming in over the top from Australia. Is it in the middle of the night or early in the morning? I think it's early in the morning for her. 100% Russell Brand is... I hate to... You know, he's so cute and people like him and he can probably open some eyes. So I don't want to throw him under the bus, but since absolutely everybody is fake, anybody who has that kind of reach, you know, anybody who's getting millions of views to me, I, I, maybe, maybe not, you know, I don't know. Like... No agenda seems to never say anything screwy. And then someone's like, well, that guy, you know, talks about a CIA history. I'm like, ah, don't even, I don't even want to know. But they get millions of views, but they grew up along the way. And that's a little more plausible to me. Yeah. Well, he was famous before he started talking about all this stuff as a thing. Yes, yes. And and he would have to make a decision. He would have to take a chance that he was going to be totally canceled. And I think he should have anticipated a 99% probability of that. And maybe a hundred guys did it and he's the one who survived. I don't know, but I have some, you could say what, say whatever you want. And then I have to ask you about three things that. Okay. He, um, you, do you know Gordo from those conspiracy guys? I think you've. Yeah. Yes. Possibly, yeah, yeah. He's so funny. Yeah. I just love his. He was just, one time he was just like, our shows are so long. People get dehydrated. <laughs> it's like. <laughs> yeah. He's funny. He, um, really funny. He, I, I spoke to him a few months back. He absolutely hates Russell Brand. Like he's all aboard the idea that he's, uh, you know, controlled opposition and whatnot. And I obviously respect Gordo's opinion, probably more. Yeah, than I always Russell want Brand, to talk so to him. It's... So if you know Gordo, tell him I want him on my show. Yeah, no problem. I'll just I'll message him. But yeah, sorry. What was the three things? You <laughs> well, were... I have three things. Okay, protests. What are there any protests in your news today? What's happening uh, over there? I keep hearing about protests, but I'm not sure. Are they anti-Ukraine war protests or pro? What are they? No protests? There's no protests going on in Europe, UK? The, the only protests that are happening in the UK at the minute seem to be just stop oil protests where they're just um, vandalizing precious artworks seemingly for uh, in the name of <laughs> let's stop oil immediately. That's That's about the size of it. I mean, like, we seem to have lost the ability to constructively protest in this country. Um. And certainly the ones that we, when we, when we do protest, the media absolutely ignore it. You know, any, any of the, the COVID lockdown protests, you know, they didn't happen according to the media. Yes. Yes. Certainly BBC didn't have them, but at the same time, they couldn't wait to publicize the, the Black Lives Matter stuff. So again, it's obviously curated media. Yeah. Um, Yes, I agree with that statement. The, the artwork vandalism is disgusting. Yes, that's but but to to take that into like a bigger point, there seems to be like this weird like degeneration of culture, or like not not like book burning, but like at the same time as they're doing this vandalism of artwork, there's a, a program on Ch- Channel Four with Jimmy Carr where they're picking 
different like precious artworks granted a lot of them are tainted but they will pit them against another one have a conversation about it and then decide which one to destroy and it's like well that's a very odd thing that you would have open debates about destroying artwork like but yeah the caveat being that some of it's stuff like paintings by hitler so <laughs> but equally you know you don't pretend he never existed do yeah you won't learn any lessons from that you won't learn yeah definitely they want you to forget because if you really dig in then you see you know eugenicists and all of that stuff and that's the last thing people want okay so i want to keep going what about we had a question from jj boogie he said let me read the tweet that he is that the guy from Arrested Development? Yes, yes. Where? He's a he lives in Atlanta and he is a fan and friend. Cool. So yeah, that's super fun. And so he is interested in. He said, "My time before last in Edinburgh on tour there was a stabbing at a hotel just a few hours after our show. Not fun checking out when there's police in hazmat suits cleaning up blood in the lobby of your hotel." What do you, what is it? Is there a lot of street crime there? I do recall people saying that, and I attribute it to not enough guns. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I won't necessarily disagree with that, but that's obviously a much broader conversation. There's a lot of knife crime in the UK, uh, particularly in in London. See, I don't see knife crime, a man has an advantage with the, with the, guns, those are the great equalizers. I feel like I'm totally fine with gun control. As long as it doesn't apply to women. Sorry, what? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm not fine with gun control at all. No, no zero. Yeah, right. I think there should. I would prefer mandatory universal gun ownership required, like in Switzerland. Um, even concealed carry and everything. I'd rather require people than ban them. Uh, but I just feel like, as a woman, I, I have no hope whatsoever defending myself. I used. To, I lived in Manhattan for a long time and. Just, I would never be able to defend myself at all if, uh, with anything but a gun, just zero. And people were rude, you know, cab drivers, junkies, stuff, they're rude to you because they know you have no power. And it's a little scary walking on the street. So I just thought if everybody knew that every, all chicks had guns, be just really a much more civilized society, I think. Or, Women, bitches be crazy, and (laughs) (laughs) it would be a real chaotic. As soon as the full moon comes out, it's just like <laughs> sprays of bullets everywhere. So I have to I have to refine my theory a little bit. But yes, yeah, so the street crime, do you what's up with that? It's probably just about more about general decline. Um people are poorer. There's crime naturally goes up when that happens. But like I say, it is it is more knife crime than anything that is a concern, certainly in London. In terms of guns, I mean, yeah, that probably that probably won't happen in this country. But equally, I don't think for one minute that they should remove your guns. I think it's one of those things where once it's in place, you can't unpick that, essentially, because all that's going to happen is the bad guys are going to keep their guns anyway and still do what they were going to do in the first place. So it's daft. The, I bad mean, guys I... that, the bad guys who work for the government and the bad guys who are in the crime, and they like well, that. And, of course, you need crime to justify the government having the guns. So it's yeah. a system that just works too well. I would certainly feel more comfortable if we had uh, at least guns on our properties. Um, 
especially Jeez, when the societal yeah. co- especially when the societal collapse happens. Well, that's in this book, <laughs> The Mandibles. The, I didn't even think about all these homesteaders and everything. I'm like, for every cow, you need like four guys and a gun. Like you've got because people, as soon as the cities collapse, they will overrun your homestead for sure. Like you have to be ready. And my father used to teach me that too. I was in the suburb of New York, and he had dried food in the basement. And he had nine kids and he was like, he would teach everybody how to use the rifles because he said, look, we're, we're going to have to defend the food. He had, he was a big red scare guy. He was from World War II and stuff. He was really, and so he trained me like I, everything I I learned so much from him. And meanwhile, thinking he was completely crazy, rejecting it all from the beginning. He also thought like evolution was a hoax. I'm like, you're insane. My mother's like dinosaurs are fake. I'm like, you're insane. And they then thought that I went too far. And now I circle back and I'm like, you guys don't even know the half of it. Yeah, I mean, dinosaurs, However, are, dinosaurs are fake, but totally. In terms totally. of like being in New York, like I was in the, I made the mistake of being in the subway after midnight a few years back in New York. I mean, yeah, there's an argument for having guns if ever there was one. Jesus Christ. I mean, yeah, like, and it wouldn't be terrifying. like that if people had guns because they, uh, it just wouldn't be like that if people had guns. You know what I mean? It's only like that because people don't have guns. Yeah, I mean, like, it wouldn't I mean, be scary if you thought getting out of line would cause you a real problem. Yeah, I mean, in terms of like the guy's question about Edinburgh and for a broader point of Scotland, the you know we've got like there's there's serious uh, drug problems in Scotland at the minute, probably not dissimilar to the fentanyl thing. Um, and yeah, we've who's got... doing that? Who's bringing that in? Uh, like well, that's yeah. just so ridiculous. My sister died of a fentanyl overdose, which she got drugs from. I have eight brothers and sisters. Like I have one of every story. <laughs> like you can definitely, it's terrible. But uh, she had a trusted drug dealer. She would go out of her way to go to the Bronx to get this drugs from this guy. He did. I'm sure he didn't want to lose her as a customer. And he, there was no reason to put fentanyl in it. I mean. I mean, even heroin, yes, I can understand, and that's what it was. But when they're putting in Coke, why would you put it in Coke? It would be bad Coke. Fentanyl puts you down. Like, it would be bad. It would be probably fine heroin, but bad Coke. I just feel like there's some, I smell a rat. Yeah. But, I mean, the point point being, you know, is we have a left-wing government within Scotland. It's obviously a left-wing state, New York. So, you know, it goes hand in hand that, you know, crime seems to go up with. uh... But this this is the problem for, like, people who like on the libertarian side of things. And I certainly fall down on that side of the argument. But like, you know, you could make the argument that like the more you allow people to do and the more freedom they have, the more human nature is going to take over and they're, they're going to kick off. So yeah, that's a very that's a very awkward... Um, I can... Whenever I do like reading on, on libertarian theory, I, I fall down on points of like, you know, uh, societal freedoms and the economy because... There are certain things that it doesn't work to me. <laughs> Wait, give me, I need another example. Um, well, like completely unrestricted free market economics is just going to result in one person owning everything. Anyway. Oh, I completely disagree. I could not disagree more. I definitely have my problems with libertarian stuff. And I'm reading this thing about the church and they're like, yeah, you can't, you can't deny someone a just wage, which I know. And I live that personally. And it's like, and the, and the point is you're really not allowed to. That has to be a tenet of the society and whatever. That's something to, like a negotiated wage is not necessarily a just wage, but or whatever, like the default wage. So I have I have problems with the libertarian thing. But if you had unfed, I believe that if you had unfettered free market, that there's an economic concept called the race to zero. 
And if you're making profits, so, so what you do is you invent something. You invent something and you make a ton of money because you're the only person who has it and it's great and you should put that money in the bank. And then as soon as other people can figure out how to make it, like I don't even believe in patents and copyright and stuff, as soon as somebody else can figure out how to make it, well then it just, uh, the price of that thing continues to decline as there's more competition until the cost of it is just about equal to the price, including the cost of the entrepreneur's time and the cost of risking whether you would succeed or fail. So you get to this, what's called economic zero profit, where if you employed any of those resources in their next best use, uh, it, they would get basically the same marginal return. So if there's a place that, if there's an industry that has slightly higher than economic zero, other actors, other resources would enter that industry and grab that. There'd be like an arbitrage opportunity. So the only thing that would be concentrated at the top would be concentrated at the level of like the size of a factory at its optimal. And since they actually have such great, um, like they've jobbed, like they've, they've reduced the necessary size, like, like you have more variety of different items because factories are more modular now. So even factories don't have to be like super huge things they used to be. And if you didn't like hyper subsidize highways, you would have factories more often. You wouldn't have one place with like a million factories and all these trucks that go on roads that taxpayers pay for or ship across the sea that the U.S. Navy is paroling, patrolling. You would have lots of different ones. You'd have more family farms and stuff. That's my, that's what I think. I actually think it would be better. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't disagree. It's just whether that would... It, I mean, in theory, we have capitalism at the minute, but it's become corrupted. I mean, they... Because the government ensures those natural monopolies, they give privileges, licenses. I hate to spout, like, straight out of, you know, Rothbard... No, I, 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 like I say, I, like, I, I, I don't disagree. I get that it's more yeah, sophisticated, just... but I feel like mm -hmm. it all comes down to somebody is restraining trade and... I'd certainly like to see it tried. Yeah, and it's totally right. So now, so this, I, I, I'm looking for a word for it. It's not just cronyism. It really, I think, probably at its heart is financial capitalism. I feel like there's something about the fact that money plays such an outsized role in world commerce, and it's so highly manipulated by the governments and stuff. Like, I... I feel like if we had gold, <laughs> if we had gold coin, we just we just wouldn't have... ExxonMobil, which just would not look like it looks. That's yeah. I do I do think that, but I mean, I would have to really twist my brain and maybe get a PhD in economic, write a thesis on on that. But I just my gut tells me that's all about the government, corporate governmental continuum that leads to these world corporations. But it yep. doesn't matter. Like I'm not so down on government as my I'm I'm down on the whole continuum. Your background is in uh, economics anyway, isn't it? When you're... I had an undergrad degree in economics, so I wouldn't, yeah, I wouldn't get yeah. too excited. But I, um, I'm, I, know I have nothing. a business I'm, degree. I yeah. know nothing. I will absolutely defer to you on the idea of And I do. I did get a <laughs> chartered financial analyst, which is like a three-year program to be like a hedge fund manager, which I probably should have actually gotten the job because <laughs> after you get those credentials, you make, you know, it's really in order to give you this great career. But anyway. That didn't happen. But so my, I have theoretical grounding, but it's a little rusty. I do understand that one concept or some of the concepts I think about more regularly, 
but I'm, I'm at the point where I don't even care anymore because I think what it really comes down to is the fact that international finance or particular governments completely control it and they are totally co-opted. You can't even, I think, tell the difference, like event 201 where they plotted coronavirus. There were the CDC of China, the CDC of the U.S., the World Health Organization, Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, Johns Hopkins University, which I don't know if you would call that private or public, given where its research money comes from, corporate, big pharma. It had Johnson & Johnson was there, um, Marriott, like they, everybody was there. It was just, everybody was invited. And they all, I, nobody really took the helm. They were all just hashing out how we we're going to get this done. So I feel like it doesn't even, it's just, it's they're indistinguishable. And I think they move from position to position. And some of these think tanks talk about how they'll manipulate the tax code to get corporations to go along with X, Y, or Z policy, or how they'll get uh, lawyers to write these model codes and get corporations to kind of voluntarily implement them. And then the laws will follow. It's, yeah, it's just, it's not, I, I guess it would call mom and pop entrepreneurship. It is not. No, I mean, we certainly live in a corrupted system and that's unfortunately that's worldwide so the reset rolls on so i want <laughs> i want to end with unless well you can end with whatever you want but my last question to you is going to be uh is scotland going to get their independence and uh in your face chucky three see this is i've wrote a little bit about this and i will just refer to that. So it's it's quite complicated in Scotland. It's probably the best way of putting it. Um, I don't think it's necessarily in the face of uh, King Charles. Um, so we've got, it's essentially we've got a devolved government already um, ran by the Scottish National Party and the First Minister, Nicola Sturgeon. She's essentially a sociopath. Um, so that's, <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. nice. She fits um, right in. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> theoretically, it's a She's single... She's invited to the party. <laughs> well, this is it. She wants an invite to the party, right? It's a single-issue party solely devoted to gaining independence from the United Kingdom. So as such, like, every election essentially becomes a mini-referendum on independence. Oh, interesting. To, I did not tend, think of that. Yeah, and they tend to just wing all the other other policies. Um, what because, do they get? What percentage? Probably about 30 to 35 but because we've got this proportional representation system, um, they've worked out how to game this system. So they always end up with like a majority government, despite having nowhere near a majority of votes. Um, essentially, like all the other parties up here, Labour, the Scottish Conservatives, Liberal Democrats, they end up splitting the non-independence vote, which essentially guarantees the SNP make their gains. Um, so, I mean, there's never actually been a majority in favour of independence. Um, but the way it's presented is very different, you know, through the media and whatnot. Um, they've also got a party, uh, a policy of rejoining the European Union um, if they can gain independence. The irony is completely lost on them. <laughs> um, right. <laughs> I mean, who wants it though? Who want? Who would benefit from it? Or is it just propaganda? Is it simply a well, wedge I, issue? I think it goes back to the idea of the the Brexit thing, and I think it's more like a. If Brexit vote was organic and that it was people pushing back against uh, globalism, it's the breakup of America the same way as the breakup of the UK. It's kind of like a punishment for us, a weakening of our collective stature, if that makes sense. Hold on. Mm -hmm. 
I I've been wondering. It seems remote, but I've been wondering if they are really going to cause a schism, like really actually break up the U.S., the Catholic Church, or if they create the schisms just to usher in martial law. But, you know, there is, that does seem to be the trend. They do those scenarios where they just decide, you know, they like if, if it seems to be breaking towards devolving nation states and we need big philanthropy or world government, or if it's shoring up national borders, that's very interesting. That is a real possibility here, I think. Okay, Gad, keep going. Yeah, so, I mean, there was, uh, you, you briefly mentioned the, the Tavistock Institute earlier. There was, a, there was a vote last week on gender recognition reform, um, making it easier to define your own gender, essentially. Um, this government's pretty keen to follow in the footsteps of the American left policies. Um, a handful of the party members actually revolted in the vote, um, including the cabinet secretary for social justice. Wow. She, she, she actually resigned from the government. Um, wow. Now, this the SNP is a, a political party that models itself on like a Soviet-styled zero dissent. <laughs> Seriously, zero dissent, right? So Sturgeon responded with like an incredibly cold letter uh, to this. I can't remember the name of this person who's resigned, but it was a cold letter essentially saying, thanks for the service, but you won't be back. Um, I saw one, one commentator uh, said something along the lines of, this is something you would expect Vladimir Putin to write, and I, I would disagree with that. I've seen plenty of clips where Putin shows some warmth. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> I haven't seen any from Sturgeon. Um, what you will find of her is her acting like a fangirl when she got to meet Hillary Clinton. Uh, <laughs> oh my gosh, that's so embarrassing. Yeah, and, and uh, the, you're not and Scottish, right? So <laughs> you're not embarrassed. No, but that doesn't... Well, no, but it doesn't necessarily... The Scottish independence thing, there's that, there's that broad uh, opinion in this country about whether you're British or Scottish that, like, I've been here long enough that, like, there's an argument to say oh. that I am Scottish. Okay, I didn't know to how an long extent. you were there. Yeah, okay. um, I didn't know how long you were there. So, I mean, I, it's a beautiful country, you know, it's there's, there's a lot going for it. Certainly, independence would not be something that would be going for it. Anyway, Sturgeon... You know, she reads books by Henry Kissinger about AI. She puts this on a... Oh, my gosh. She employed Devi Schreider as a COVID advisor. She's a colleague of Chelsea Clinton, I think. I mean, she was deeply unpopular during COVID for going further and stricter than the UK government even did with lockdowns and things like that. When um, When is she up for re-election? Oh, she had an election during COVID. Now, this is the, this is the problem. Her supporters are quite sycophantic. Some of them were literally thanking her for keeping them. Oh alive. yeah, yeah, it's gross. You know, there was that kind of nonsense. So, so I mean, but then to an extent, the party's got a little bit of a divide, like deep down, because she part same same way Keir Starmer did. She participated in a coup to get rid of the previous leader, Alex Salmond, um, who had his flaws, but he was at least a oh. serious serious politician for the most part, and probably actually believed in the concept of Scottish independence, not just let's be part of a bigger globalist project with the EU and whatnot. So right. there are strong rumors about her marriage and her actual sexual preferences. Oh. I'll leave it I'll leave it at that. You can go look in for that if you want. Um, like I said, there's a drugs crisis, there's city centre decline, 
they're well into net zero, they're well into the removal of fossil fuels, despite the fact that that would bankrupt this country. That's the only way you could possibly yes. run independence would be having the North Sea. And oil. what, I mean, it's just, they only um, want to do that because they hate you. Yeah. And the, yeah. and the worst bit is there's no credible alternative either. There's nobody else you can vote in because they're all, like the main opposition here is so, the, the Conservative Party who are a shambles at UK level. So, okay, so, but if you were to vote, if you were to decide, would you say you would prefer that Scotland be independent of the UK and of EU or stay the way it is? I think staying as we are within the UK is the okay. best of a bad yeah. situation. But like if somebody was like, if somebody was offering actual independence, I'd be yeah. more curious about exploring that yes but that, that's only if you could set it up in like a, a libertarian manner like i actually right. one of my previous podcast episodes is a conversation with the leader of the scottish libertarian party and he's that's essentially his position is that like he's pro-independence but not right not in this manner like there's a lot of a lot yeah, of what my friends yeah a lot of my friends um consider the SNP and Scottish independence is to be something positive, but it's kind of like they say, like, it's a price worth paying, you know, getting into bed with this devil, as it were, to a means to an end. And it's like, well, is it? No, it no it's not, because you're just going to end up like they're a globalist. Party. Yeah. Like, like you said earlier, yeah, it's, that's ridiculous. It's globalism light. She wants to be Hillary Clinton. She can't be. Nobody can. She is. No, that's not the answer. It's not <laughs> worth wasting your effort on trying to make something like that happen, I would think. Yeah. And this is all. It'd be know, very disruptive. Yeah. And this is, unfortunately, to the backdrop of beautiful, spacious country. You know, the Highlands are incredible to visit. Wow. The whole place is stunning, but it, it's going to shit, basically. Oh, <laughs> that's sorry. I'm sorry to hear that. So, what did we not hit that's on your list the only thing i was curious about was did you <laughs> did you watch any of the john fetterman debates or the, I the single debate didn't i get so um first of all i hate politics so it's <laughs> just true second of all um i really feel sad for people who are being embarrassed so i didn't i did want to know and see if it looked totally 100 percent legit like, did it really look like he was trying his best and unexpectedly was ridiculous? Well, do you know who David Icke is? I'm interviewing David Icke, supposedly, in December. No He's pushed me off like five times, but I I am totally happy that he's even considering it. His daughter is absolutely lovely, and she's been rescheduling and rescheduling, but I'm confident that I'm going to talk to him in December. Yes. Okay, good. So he... I had an interview, well, he's had about seven interviews with Brian Rose uh, of London Real. And on his last one, he makes the point that the more ridiculous a leader that they can put into place, the more we lose like our personal dignity, our yes. self-respect, that we'll just go along with doing anything because like, if the clown is the best of us, Yes, we, literally we, clowns, actors, yeah. clowns. Yes, we must like be Brazil, real. A clown, right? Isn't yeah. one of the senators <laughs> an actual clown? Yeah. So, like, we must be real pond scum if we can't. Yeah, even, that's right. You know, I totally agree. To these. So that was his point, and I just think you know John Fetterman. Okay, he's yeah. been ill, but he shouldn't be there. That makes him it's, unqualified. 
Yeah, absolutely. But it's the, <laughs> it's the same. The fact that he's pushed and can be easily controlled is yes. the same same phenomena that oh, the reason yes, yes. the reason Joe Biden's there. You know, the same phenomena that Boris Johnson was. You know, he's an idiot. Joe we Biden all... is not the same. Joe Biden acts oh. like I think that he's very. He was a very much the insider. I think he really knows where the bodies are buried, whether he if he's non mentis now or I don't know. But he, I do not think of him as a puppet or a clown or anything. He acts like one, but not but the, not the same way Bojo and Trump. Like a Bojo and Trump, I think whether they know it or not, their persona, whatever that that's a very on the surface. I think Biden mm-hmm. was deeply like he he claims to have written the USA Patriot Act. Um, which means that he was involved in the Oklahoma City bombing, I think. And I just, he's re- he is, in my mind, he's really bad. I don't ever talk yeah. about him. I don't care. Yeah. But I'm just saying, like, he is a totally different creature. But, in my but because he knows where the bodies are buried, he can be controlled. But the, the same phenomena that David Icke's pointing out is that, like, we all look at Joe Biden and go, seriously, that's the president. This like, Yes. Whether he's putting it on or not. Yes. You know, this guy is not the best of us. He's possibly not even functioning properly. So we all, you know, we go, oh, well, okay, that's, well, he must be, we must be rubbish because, you know, he's there and that's that's the best we can do. And everything. I mean, I, like I said, John Fetterman is the same yeah. phenomena as that. If he Gabby wins Gifford's next week, that's... Like that Sorry, who's that? Gabby Giffords was a congresswoman who was shot and extremely brain damaged and she comes they say that it's really just that she can't speak properly because she writes these very sophisticated editorials for the new york times mm-hmm. and i've been you know i was encouraged not to say that like when i was on the radio they were like that's very you know rude of you to imply that she's not actually writing that stuff and i'm like have you ever seen her interviewed i mean she's not writing that and yeah so if you have someone who really actually has brain damage, I can imagine that, yes, you very, very manipulable. Yeah, so what, I suppose we'll see if he wins next Tuesday. I mean... I can't imagine. I thought that was just off the table, but I don't follow the race. I didn't follow the race, so I didn't do my homework, Matt. I'm sorry. Quite, I tried. I, just, I, I tried to get other her. people to do it. <laughs> As you saw on Twitter, I was like, uh, does anybody have any answers to Matt? question <laughs> i just assume it's kind of like in the floating about daily you know all this information about these people and, and whatnot but in 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 american culture and whatnot but i think i the problem is i seek it out you know i'll sit and watch c-span I watch oh, i'm the- way more interested in rishi yeah. sunak than i am in joe biden that's for that's sure weird. Like, I'm, fascinating yeah i'm barely interested in british politics like it, i have to go write some stuff down for you <laughs> so it's somehow like- it's like it's not as threatening. I feel like you're in a zoo. See, this way it's in a zoo. There's like an ocean between like that. Like if that doesn't affect me directly, but here, if I have to like really look at it, like, like look at the face of the devil, like I'm afraid it'll singe my skin off, (laughs) but I can look across and I feel safe. But you know, I would love to get together with you one time. This was a great buddy dive, but sometimes I'll do occasionally, rarely I'll do a buddy deep dive. So like, we'll pick a subject and just both do our homework and talk about it for 45 minutes. So I did some homework on Paul Pelosi for you, but we don't have time to get into it. And I'm going to do a deep dive on that tomorrow. 
which you can uh -huh. listen to if you want the answers to my questions, but like something like that, where we're just like, okay, what's going on? The 45 minutes, just data dump. And so I invite you to do one of those if you're up for it. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, this was great. It was a great idea. Thank you so much for coming. This is truly a buddy dive. So uh, tell people everything about your work, how they can find you, all of that. And then I will wrap with my own two cents. Okay, great. Well, um, you'll be able to find me um, on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, uh, at the political dark side. Um, the handle is usually at pdarksidepod. Um, I try and put out as much content as as possible. I took a couple of months off uh, once I realized how messed up everything was because of the World Economic Forum, and that got to me mentally for a little bit of time. Yes, but, yes, it can know, really wear uh, you down. Yes. But yeah, um, it, everything's available uh, audio, but there's also video versions through YouTube for as long as uh, as long as they'll last. I really do need to branch out into you know, bit shoot and rumble and whatnot. Um, sooner or later, I will. I'm trying to line up some uh, more interesting guests coming up. I've already spoken to some quite interesting people like Johnny Vedmore, Richard Gage, Bart Sabrell. Um, so hopefully that opens a few doors. I mean, Monica yourself, you're a <laughs> Great to speak to. Thank you. Thank you. It was we did go, did go off on many tangents there, did we? So it's... Did I think we covered what we wanted to? I like it like that. It's organic. They yeah. uh, mm -hmm. they used to, they taught me in radio context and continuity. So you want to hit everything, but you never want to, you know, hard break. But who knows? Now at this point, it's muscle memory. So whatever I'm doing is either a reflection of that or just because I'm scatterbrained and an interrupting New Yorker. But I think we covered it all. And if we didn't, we can just do it again, which would be great too. Yeah, so absolutely. thank you so much for being on this buddy dive with me, Matt. Um, the way my outro works, I'm going to say goodbye to you on the air because I will not be able to say goodbye to you after. So I thank you very, very much for your time. And thanks, guys, for coming to watch. We've got some comments. So if people are listening, you could go to the YouTube channel, just see a few comments. I didn't do too many. I didn't have time so much for Q&A, but I try to do a live dive every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific right here on Deep Dives with Monica Perez. Maybe we'll catch it next time. And if you want to talk to me, just tweet at me at Monica Perez Show.